Thank you for listening to the Institute of World Politics podcast. To learn more about our graduate programs in national security, international affairs, and intelligence, or to support our work in educating future leaders, please visit www.iwp.edu. Thank you for watching this virtual lecture event hosted by the Institute of World Politics. For those of you who are new, IWP is a graduate school of national security and international affairs. We have five master's degree programs, 18 certificates of study, and a new doctoral program. If you're interested in learning more about us, please visit iwp.edu. This lecture event is part of the 11th Annual Kosciuszko Chair Spring Symposium in honor of Lady Blanca Rosensteel. This event is sponsored by the Kosciuszko Chair in Polish Studies and the Center for Intermarium Studies. Today, we'll be hearing from Professor Zygmiew Stavrovsky. Professor Stavrovsky is a political philosopher, professor at the Cardinal Stefan Wyszynski University in Warsaw, and the director of the Tischner Institute in Krakow. He's the author of The State and Its Rights and the Philosophy of Hegel, Natural Law and Political Order, Immoral Democracy, Solidarity Means a Bond, and Concerning the Idea of Community. Professor Stavrovsky, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Uh, I am very uh, grateful uh, and I would like to thank you for nice a uh, nice uh, introduction and I would like to thank very much uh, for uh, Professor Marek Hodakiewicz for inviting me to the conference. Uh, what I am going to tell you about uh, is a part of my reflections on the spiritual condition of Europe and uh, broadly on the uh, Western world. Uh, I presented uh, them broader in my book, uh, The Clash of Civilizations or Civil War, uh, which will appear soon in the Leopolis Press. I look at the issue of religious freedom from my own Polish and European perspective. Still, supposedly, it differs not too much from what you can observe uh, around yourselves in America now. Uh, let us start with a preliminary remark. Uh, for people in doubt with a conservative sensitivity or simply with common sense, uh, the connection between religion and the political community seems to be obvious. It is religion, our faith, uh, our uh, attitude towards the divine, which ultimately determine the foundation and the essential shape of each community. This connection was already well known in ancient times. And 200 years ago, great German philosopher Hegel reminded us that, I quote, a nation which has a false or bad conception of God also has a bad state, bad government, and bad laws. The end of quotation. This is why it is necessary to look upon today's crisis in Europe and the Western world as, above all, a religious crisis. But what does it mean? For many, this crisis means the fall of religiousness or faith, which is manifested by the abandonment of religion, 
the progressive secularization and atheization of Western societies. However, this diagnosis seems to be only partly true. We are indeed dealing with a crisis of religion and Western civilization, but it is not caused by the abandonment of religion as such, quite the opposite. This may be surprising for many, but we live nowadays in times of unusually fierce religious intensification and growth. And I am by no means referring only to Islam, rather to various contemporary ideologies, social movements, and even intellectual and spiritual fashions, which religious or quasi-religious characters can be seen easily in their missionary zeal. These movements in all their differences have one essential common characteristic. Their representatives usually refer to religions with a tone of indifference and superiority, treating each religion as an element of backwardness and social underdevelopment, as something which is opposed to human reason and freedom and which, sooner or later, will be eliminated from our social life. But we should not be deceived by their own anti-religious declarations. We are dealing here with new forms of religiousness, with new forms of paganism, as Joseph Ratzinger called them already 60 years ago, in 1958, in his article, Die neuen Heiden und die The New Pagans and the Church. And what must be emphasized, these new forms of paganism treat one specific religion, even Christianity, as their greatest enemy. It is precisely under the pressure of this growing wave of neo-paganism that the Christian religion and Western civilization find themselves in, in a crisis. For instance, the widespread pro-abortion mentality today seems to be reminiscent of the ancient worship of idol of Molech, to whom people would sacrifice their children in order to secure a prosperous life. Various contemporary forms of Bacchanalia, uh, a cult of godly Dionysus, can also be noticed. For example, collective intoxication by alcohol, drugs, and techno music, joined with the transgression of all norms and customs ruling in the society. Presently, Europe and also America are undergoing a religious war, a war of life and death. It is not, I repeat, a conflict between religious and non-religious people, but a clash of Christianity, or rather what is left of it, 
and neo-paganism. Rivalry with Islam, although it fills the first pages of newspapers, is here of secondary significance. In order to demonstrate the context in which issues concerning the future of Europe are taking place, that is the context of inward religious war, I will begin with a few comments on the philosophical image of man. I want to emphasize that man, no matter what he thinks of himself, is by nature a religious being, animal religiosum. Let me remind here, for instance, words of Edmund Burke, who wrote, I quote, we know, and it is our pride to know, that man is by his constitution a religious animal, that atheism is against not only our reason, but our instincts, and that it cannot prevail long. So the religious dimension of the human being is not just an external addition, which like clothing, can either be worn or not. On the contrary, it is something important, essential and necessary. Although the possibility of conversion really exists and we can today actually choose among the various religious offers, it is impossible for us to completely get rid of the religious dimension of our existence because that would mean abandoning our humanity. How in this case can we explain the fact that there are many people, some of them very decent, who consider themselves to be non-religious and non-believing? The answer is simple, but it is necessary to use here language which is understandable to all, without exception, even to those who deem themselves non-believers. It is enough just to say that which for you is the most important, which is of the highest value for you, that which you love the most and which you desire the most, that is your God. If you understand a religious attitude not in a confessional meaning as the conscious belonging to some specific historically defined religion, but more broadly as a reference to that which is of the highest value for, a, for an individual, then such, reverence, then such reference would be an essential feature of every rational creature. Each of us, irrelevant, whether atheist, agnostic, or someone who believes in something or other, has a certain hierarchy of values, on the top of which one can always find some values we recognize to be absolute. Of course, 
those who feel themselves to be members of a specific religious community, additionally link such values with the name of God in which they believe. The problem, therefore, is not whether someone accepts and believes in some highest values, but what their content is. Are they, for example, universal values such as goodness, truth, and beauty? Or are they more mundane values such as happiness, wealth, career, fame, power, or even, as St. Paul put it bluntly in his letter to the Philippians, their stomach. From among countless thinkers who shared such an intuition, let us quote famous German phenomenologist Max Scheller. I cite, as the religious act is the fundamental furnishing of the human mind and soul, there can be no doubt whether someone or other is fulfilling it. A law exists. Every human being believes in God or idols. It would also be proper to quote here the famous words attributed to Gilbert Chesterton. When men choose not to believe in God, they do not thereafter believe in nothing. They then become capable of believing in anything. Or in a shorter version, who, he who does not believe in God will believe in anything. Similarly, John Paul II, in the first chapter of the encyclical Fides et Ratio, points out that the basic existential question which accompanies each human person shows him to be primarily a being searching for sense. From all our desires, the need for sense appears to be the most important, the deepest, and the most human. From this, from this elementary need, uh, diverse answers are born, such as the ones we can find in different religious and philosophical traditions, and also those which, on the other hand, various ideologies attempt to propose. Since the religious dimension, the dimension of our existence which searches for sense, constantly accompanies us as, as a permanent part of human nature, even if it sometimes takes on an unexpected and apparently non-religious or entire religious form, a relevant question arises concerning the proper shape of the political order. Is it at all possible for individuals and communities differing in religion and faith? And if so, then how? to live together in peace and harmony within the framework of one political organism.
There are, in principle, only two replies. The first one says, it is not possible at all. Each dominating community must impose its own system of values as obligatory on all other communities. Uh, the realization of such a vision where one religion as is dominant can, as history has shown, be done radically through the physical elimination of non-believers or by forcing them to change religion under the threat of the third. It can also occur softly, gradually, with the help of subtle harassment, pressure, but also material temptations or drugs. Second answer sounds, the common life of different communities will be possible if we reject the program of forceful conversion, guaranteeing everybody the right to religious freedom instead. The idea of religious freedom was brought to the world by Christianity. There's no other civilization all over the world and history for which the idea would be so inherent and significant. Two pivotal elements of Christian identity have become the basis of the solution. First one was the separation of the religious order from the political order. And accordingly, the contesting of the general belief that it is the state's duty to realize the complete system of values of the dominating religious community. The words give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's indicate clearly that the task and objectives of a religious community and a political one are of a different nature. The second element, undoubtedly crucial, was the recognition of each specific human person having been created in the image and likeness of God and made a son or daughter of God through Christ as the highest value in this world. In the Christian perspective, it is the, the other person, my neighbor, that is sacred. The elevation of the uh, individual human being above all clear creator, even above the value of political authority and political community, became the basis for Western civilization. State authority must be, therefore, limited. Its task is to stand guard of the lower values, safety and peace. Whereas realizing the highest and absolute values belong to individuals and their, their religious communities. Let me re-say, it is not possible to understand our civilization without taking the principle of religious freedom 
into account. As it is precisely this principle which constitutes its basis, and without it, the West simply would not exist. It is religious freedom that fundamentally distinguishes our civilization from other civilizations. However, it is worth remembering that although it was Christianity that brought uh, the idea of religious freedom to our world, the Catholic Church and similarly Protestant churches have had difficulties for centuries in understanding the essential meaning of this notion, especially in noticing that it concerns everybody, not only their own members, but also members of other religious communities. Uh, there is neither the time nor the need to describe how the idea of religious freedom has slowly worked its way into the history of the Western world. Christians who, through the testimony of their faith, succeeded eventually in limiting the Roman Caesar's power to matters of this world very quickly, that is, uh, as soon as a Christian ruler took the throne, stopped applying it themselves toward uh, non-Christians. This same problem returned in the times of the Reformation. In order to counter religious civil wars, the rulers of modern states sought to maintain in reign the excessively eager and zealous members of uh, diverse religions and denominations who were ready to convert non-believers forcefully. Not going too much into detail, it is sufficient to say that the principle of religious freedom, or more specifically, of religious tolerance, was initially accepted by Christian churches without much enthusiasm as a lesser evil. And the political reasons turned out to be decisive here, among them the need to avoid civil war. Since then, the principle of religious freedom is no longer questioned directly in the Western world. It has become the indisputable foundation of the political organisms of our world. In the long perspective, this situation turned out to be a blessing for the Catholic Church. Imposed to resign from the forceful conversion, she had plenty of time to reflect on the issue. As a result of it, she not only finally accepted the principle of religious tolerance, but also discovered more profound, not, not just political, but theological and anthropological grounds for the right to religious freedom. This happened ultimately in uh, 1965 uh, in the conciliar declaration Dignitatis Humanae, where the principle of religious freedom was defined as, uh, I quote, 
a right which has its foundation in the dignity of the person. For over 50 years, we can therefore speak without hesitation on the mature self-awareness of the Catholic Church as a religious community, which for centuries with the message of freedom, present from the very beginning, although for some time not fully revealed, has penetrated and shaped our Western world. The contemporary Catholic Church as a religion, which as we read in Dignitatis Humanae, cannot impose itself except by virtue of its own truth, states that the respect for human rights, that is of our natural boundaries, which are supposed to protect people from the abuse of their liberty, ultimately serves to ensure every person's right to safely and peacefully search for the answer to the question of the sense of their life. And once having chosen freely that which for them is best and most important, to ensure that they may speak about it, bear witness and share it with others publicly without restriction. So uh, there's no place anymore for double measures. Double measures. The Catholic Church doesn't demand any special, special privileges. It does not wish for anything else than for the respect of universal rights and freedom to preach the gospel. Moreover, in this mission, any violence is definitively ruled out. As we read in the encyclical Redemptoris Missio of the Pope uh, John Paul II, I quote, the church addresses people with full respect for their freedom. Her mission does not restrict freedom, but rather promotes it. The church proposes. She imposes nothing. She respects individuals and cultures, and she honors the sanctuary of conscience. The end of quotation. So, the full sense of the principle of religious freedom and its universal dimension has been revealed in today's Catholic Church teachings. Such an understanding opens up a space for the meeting of individuals and communities that differ in beliefs, religions, or cultures. It's a project of friendly space for all people of goodwill, searching along different paths for the sense and fulfillment of their own lives. This is ideal project for a community of communities, which by witnessing, by word and example, but entirely without force, can and want to convince and to convert each other, 
competing against each other with an attitude of respect and love. And this project of community of communities is the most important metapolitical proposition which Christianity directs to the world, to the contemporary world. Of course, uh, this proposition could only be accepted by individuals and communities who are equally ready to respect the freedom of others and resign from the use of force. However, uh, it is difficult not to notice uh, uh, bringing this ideal back to earth that only a few significant contemporary religious uh, fulfill this condition. I'm not only referring to the troubles related to Islam. A much more disturbing phenomenon is the influence of ideological movements which have appeared in the Western world and constantly refer to its values promoting an entirely different vision of man and, and human relations. These movements uh, have grown from within the framework of the West and refer to its symbols, to freedom, dignity, equality, human rights, solidarity. However, they give them new meanings. Within the Western world today, there is a fierce mental fight concerning the meaning of these concepts and who ultimately is to define their sense. This is particularly visible in the case of the notion of religious freedom. The verbal agreement that it is a universal value, hides a radical conflict. Besides uh, the above presented interpretation of the principle of religious freedom, as understood by Catholic Church, another proposal also appears, which in fact would lead to its total denial. Religious freedom as something which is essentially positive, as the freedom to, freedom to practice religion, and thus, uh, and thus the freedom to openly express one's most profound religious beliefs and to take action in the public space motivated by these beliefs takes on a negative sense the opposing view as freedom from religion, behind which hides a program for the expulsion of all religious behavior, signs and symbols, referring to the transcendent dimension of human existence from public space. This program is accompanied by a specific view of man, if we understand the religious perspective as being open to the highest values, then the postulate 
of freedom from, from religion presupposes as an ideal a human devoid of this reference to that which exceeds him and calls him upwards. By forbidding the public expression of the values subjectively perceived as the highest, the world becomes an arena where, where the lowest values are fostered, namely those which serve to satisfy our animal desires. Moreover, hidden behind the deceptive slogan of freedom from religion is a particular form of religion and a specific community. This is the community of followers of the religion of emptiness, an ideology that defies power and egoistic whims satisfaction, which under the banner of freedom from that which is most valuable, conducts a crusade of total liberation, destroying all that we owe to Christian heritage, namely areas of actual freedom, genuine community and solidarity with those who are weaker and those in need of help. When such an ideology or wealthy religion becomes the dominating religion in a state, it cares for nothing, it does not respect the principle of religious freedom or even the principle of religious tolerance. It doesn't hesitate to use legal regulations and state coercion to force, by using violence, those who think differently, which generally in the West means Christians. Attempts to reshape and redefine the jewel of Europe and of all Western civilization, the principle of religious freedom, reducing it to the formulation of freedom from religion, ultimately ends in the propagation of a new version of the religious fundamentalist confessional state, which, through its laws and institutions, is ready to support just one religion, be one of a nihilistic vision of man and of the humankind. Will the attempts made by the advocates of this ideology turn out to be successful? The future shape of the Western world depends on the response to this question. Yet the decision concerning which route we will take still, I hope, remains in our hands. Thank you for your attention and patience.